Andrew Womack Ministries presents this session from the 2014 Phoenix Gospel Truth Seminar. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. I'm going to be teaching this week from the book of Galatians is what I'm going to be teaching from. And I want to turn over there and just give a little brief introduction on this. That you know, the Apostle Paul, he ministered on grace in such a way that even Peter talked about, man, some of the things he says are hard to be understood. God used Paul to bring this revelation of what the true gospel was to the body of Christ. And he wrote half of the books in the New Testament. And I tell you, it is just chucked full of the grace of God. The book of Romans is a masterpiece on grace. And it's really, really good, but it is just in kind of a scholarly way. He's just dealing with the subject. The book of Galatians is where he was ministering to a group of people that he had brought the gospel to them. They had received the gospel and were totally set free. But in a very short period of time, they went back into legalism. And I mean, Paul in the book of Galatians is brutal. He just attacks these people. I'm going to deal with all of these scriptures, but like in the third chapter, he says, you foolish Galatians. I think it's Weymouth's translation says, you idiots. <laughs> and I mean, Paul is just blasting these people. And he said, Christ is going to profit you nothing. You've fallen from grace. There's no benefit. You've frustrated the grace of God. I mean, he's just tough on these people. And so we're going to be teaching through the book of Galatians. And I just want to say that, you know, this is as applicable to us today as it was during the days that the Apostle Paul wrote this. We don't have Pharisees that are necessarily recognizable in the church today, but they're still alive and well. Many of them are the pastors and the leaders of our church. We still have Pharisees. They just don't dress the same way and they may not do some of the same things, but it's the exact same mentality. And again, this legalistic mindset voids the grace of God. It diminishes the love of God. You know, if you said that, well, man, I'd like to be your friend, but then if it was told you that I'm the one that puts cancer on people, I'm the one that causes babies to be born a certain way, I'm the one who caused the Twin Towers to go down, and this is my judgment, and if you were told that this is who I was and that this is the way I do things, I guarantee you, not many of you would like to be my friends. And sadly, God is even blamed so to the point that they write in contracts that this is voided by an act of God. God is not the one doing these acts. God is not the one causing the problems in your life. God is a good God. If it's good, it's from God. If it's bad, it's from the devil. And the book of Galatians is making these points. And I'm telling you that the body of Christ today, if Paul was here today speaking in person, Paul would not pull any punches. Some of the things that we're going to read right here in just the first few verses, the apostle Paul would be highly upset with the body of Christ today because we have gone back on the new covenant. Most of the people in here, you know, have used the term gospel before and you say, well, nobody in America should hear the gospel twice until everybody in the world's had the opportunity to hear it once. But I'm telling you, America hasn't heard the gospel. They've heard religion. They have not heard the true gospel. We are awash in religion. It's drowning America. And I tell you, there's a lot of things happening today. I was with 
Pastor Tom Anderson here playing golf yesterday or day before, and he gave me these, I forgot, I, I couldn't quote it now, but he was teaching on how the Jews left Egypt and went into uh, you know, all of these different steps, and it's like a circle. And once you get away from the true gospel and the grace of God, you get into legalism and that leads to liberalism and thinking things are fair and you just come back to where again, you are willingly submitting to Pharaoh and letting him dominate you. And it was a great truth. I still, uh, you hadn't given me your CD on that yet, but I'd like to get that. And I'm telling you that this is what's happened in the body of Christ. We are, we have departed from the true gospel. Most people don't know it. And so I'm just warning you up front that the Apostle Paul pulls no punches and I'm gonna try and represent these things the way that he said it. And this may offend a few people, but you know, there was a young man at our Bible college here in Phoenix today that gave his testimony and he went to a very conservative Bible school and he said that he learned all of the nuances of the Greek and the Hebrew and he knew everything backwards and forwards, knew the type of pottery that they were talking about. He learned all of the facts. And then his mother got to talking about some of the things that I was saying. And she made a statement about God's not mad at you. He's not judging you anymore. And he got so mad at her that he said he still was trying to respect her. And as much as he could get angry with respect in his heart, he was arguing with her over this and she thought she was, he thought she was in a cult. So he joined our correspondence course and took one semester so he could listen and prove me wrong and go show her these. And he says, here I am three years later and he just totally transformed. So uh, anyway, I'm saying that a lot of the things that we'll be reading here in the book of Galatians are gonna be against religious tradition and stuff, but listen to it, open up your heart and pray about it. And if you will receive this, I guarantee you, it could set you free and the love of God could just come alive. I think the greatest compliment, the one that I like the most is when people say, man, I've just fallen in love with Jesus. They're in love with Jesus. They're in love with the word. It's like they got a brand new Bible. I'm telling you, the grace of God will transform your life, but you're gonna have to be willing to challenge these traditions and doctrines of man that make the word of none effect. And I'm gonna be sharing this straight out of scripture. So I'm just warning you up front that amen, you better be prepared to get changed. You're either gonna get mad or glad, but you will not be indifferent. In Galatians chapter one, verse one, it says, Paul, an apostle, not of man, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul right here, he's, you know, normally he goes through this greeting and talks about how that your faith is heard off throughout the whole world in Romans chapter one. And he says all of these complimentary things and he works into it. He's just, what he's doing here is establishing his authority. I'm an apostle, not of man, or by man, no man made me, no man commissioned me. This was God and he's establishing his authority because he's about to come in and rake them over the coals for the way that they departed from the truth. And he knew that people were gonna say, who are you to do this? He was establishing, he was an apostle. He's the one that brought the gospel to him. And he's making it clear that I'm not responsible to people, I'm responsible to God. I'm saying this in the name of the Lord. In verse two, he says, and the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia, grace be unto you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And that's the end of his introduction. And now he starts in to uh, speaking to him. In verse four, he says, who gave himself, talking about Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. Did you know that Jesus didn't die to just forgive you of your sins so that when you die, when you, you would go to heaven instead of going to hell? Jesus died to set us free from this present evil world. And that is the will of God and of our Father. You know, I really believe that this is one of the reasons that the church is not making the impact on our society that God wants us to is because, I don't know how it happened, but we only preach Jesus as for the forgiveness of your sins so that you'll go to heaven instead of going to hell. And the average person believes that, you know, God exists and they're gonna get right with him right before they die so they won't go to hell. But they don't see the relevance of God to their everyday life. If we were preaching the full gospel and telling people that it's God's will for you to be well, and if we were seeing people raised from the dead and blind eyes open and stuff. I believe that people would be coming to the church and knocking the doors down, cutting a hole in the roof the way that they did with Jesus. But the average person, if they went to the average pastor and said, pastor, I've got this terrible thing. Would you please help me? They'd say, have you been to the doctor? What has the doctor done? We're sending people to the doctor. I'm not against doctors. If it hadn't been for doctors, all the Christians would be dead. So I'm not against doctors. <laughs> But I'm saying that we ought to be representing God and we ought to be able to minister to people without them having to go to a doctor. And if the average person comes to a pastor and has financial problems, they'll say, well, have you checked out this program? You can get food stamps. Obama's just extended all of the uh, benefits and you know, whatever it is. And they would point them to the government. We ought to be ministering to people. I was just with Dean Radke and Man, what a blessing that this guy's taken all of his experience with Avon and with the limited and now teaching people in the body of Christ how to prosper and how to do things. The body of Christ ought to be teaching people how to prosper. We ought to be, instead of sending them to a psychiatrist or to a pill, we ought to be administering the gospel, amen, and seeing these people heal. The Lord gave himself to deliver us from this present evil world. There ought to be a difference between believers and non-believers. We're alive and they're dead. Amen. You ought to be able to tell the difference between a live and a dead person. I had a friend of mine that said he was preaching in a church and a guy died. They called 911 and they took out half the congregation before they found the dead person. Man, look alive. The buzzards are coming, amen. You need to move. You need to act like you're delivered from this present evil world. And it says here in verse uh, five, to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. If you really understand what Jesus came to do and how he came to change our lives, not just tack on and make a little bit of an addition, but I mean our lives could, should be consumed with love and devotion to God and receiving from him and recognizing he came to set you free from sickness, from poverty, from depression and from sin and from hell. But if we fully understood this, you couldn't help but break out in praise the way that Paul did right here. And then he says this, boy, he gets right to it in verse six. He says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel 
of Christ. Boy, this is a powerful, powerful statement. Paul was shocked that people would leave the gospel and go to another gospel, which he says isn't really another gospel. There is no other good news. You know, I'm amazed. I'm amazed that people reject teaching about the goodness of God. It really defies logic. You would think everybody would want to hear that God's a good God and that God wants you well and God wants to bless you and prosper you. And yet there are people that fight over this. I've had people argue with me and say, God is not a good God. And they'll fight for God being angry. It's amazing to me that anybody would reject this. And this, it shocked the apostle Paul. And notice he says, I'm amazed that you have um, been removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. He's using the word grace and gospel interchangeably. If you aren't preaching the grace of God, you are not preaching the true gospel. This is the gospel. There is no other gospel. As a matter of fact, I won't take time to go into it, but if you look at the words used for another in verses six and seven, there are two different words. The first one says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another. That means another of a different kind. And then in verse seven, he says, which is not another. It's not another of a same kind is what that word means. In other words, this... It was something totally different. Legalism is completely different from the true gospel. You can't mix the two. There are so many scriptures that go into this talking about you can't put new wine into an old wineskin. You can't put a new patch on an old garment. All of that's talking about the law, the old covenant versus the new covenant. They are incompatible. The Old Covenant did not contradict the New Testament or vice versa, but the Old Testament law was fulfilled in the New Testament and we aren't under that law. There is no way that you can mix these two together. And you know, I think the thing that makes the legalism that the body of Christ finds himself bound in today, the thing that makes it so hard to counter is because it's like he said here, it's not another, but some would pervert the gospel of Christ. It's a perversion. It's much easier to counter something that is partially true than it is. You know, if, if people, most of us in here, I imagine that probably the majority of people in here have already been pretty well exposed to the gospel and that's the reason you're here. Amen. If you've been listening to Creflo, I know you've been exposed to it. If you've been listening to me, you're exposed to it and that's probably the only reason you're here. So this may not be your typical group, but if you were to go to the typical group of Christians, the reason it's so hard to counter this is because it's a perversion. They will take some of the truths. They will talk about, yes, God loves you. But then they'll sit there and say, if you don't pay your tithes and if you don't do this and if you don't do this and this and this, God is gonna judge you. God won't heal you. And, and that just totally undoes all of the things that they were teaching about the goodness of God. It's a perversion. You know, nobody poisons dog poop because nobody will eat it. <laughs> You put poison in like a steak or something that people would eat and swallow. If you want to really poison somebody, you got to put it on something that they'll swallow. And likewise, the devil doesn't just come out and say, well, God doesn't exist because there is a witness. The Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God. Man, you're being witness to every single day that God exists. There's an intuitive knowledge. Romans chapter one talks about that in our hearts, we all know even his 
Godhead. Everybody knows that there's a God. The most successful weapon that the devil's got against us is to pervert truth, to take a portion of truth and just twist it and pervert it. It's so much more subtle. And this is exactly what the devil has done. And so Paul here is talking about that you have removed from the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. And as we go through this, it'll be really evident, but I'll just tell you up front, the perversion that he's talking about is where people came in and said, oh yes, you need Jesus. You have to have Jesus to forgive your sin. They were not denying that Jesus was the Messiah. They were not denying that Jesus died for our sins. What they were doing was adding to it and saying, it's not only what Jesus did, you also have to live holy. And if you don't measure up to a certain standard, God won't answer your prayers. God won't use you. God won't flow through you. And that's the perversion that he's talking about. And I'm telling you, this is exactly where the vast majority of the body of Christ stands today is they are still living by the exact perversion of the gospel that the apostle Paul was teaching against right here. They have mixed the Old Testament law and all of the do's and don'ts with the New Testament grace and think that you can somehow or another merge these two. You can't do it. They are incompatible. It's like oil and water. They don't mix you cannot mix law and grace. It doesn't work. Thank you for that one amen. And I know that even, again, probably most of you have been more exposed to the gospel than the average person in the body of Christ. But you know, those are hard statements to swallow. Most people will sit here and choke on this kind of stuff and think, but wait a minute, we've got to also hold on to this Old Testament law. We've still got to do all of these things to please God. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is what pleases God. You know, I held a service 30 years ago, I guess it was, in St. Louis, Missouri, and there was about 400 people in the church. And I started by saying, how many of you want to love God and please God more than anything else? And I think every hand in the place went up. And I said, now, this is a big question. How many of you really please God? And did you know out of 400 people, there was two hands. An eight-year-old boy and an about 11-year-old girl raised their hands. And I said, can you see the problem? If this is your number one goal is to please God, and yet there's less than 1% of this group that thinks that you please God, then you are setting yourself up for, for disappointment, discouragement, feeling unworthy. How could God love me? But the truth is I went on and preached that it's not your actions that please God, it's whether or not you put faith in Jesus and whether you are receiving what he did for you and not what you do for him. And yet the vast majority of Christians do not experience God's pleasure. They don't experience the love and the peace of God because they are under this perversion of the gospel. The body of Christ has had legalism, performance taught to them and they mix it in. It's a perversion. And Paul here is saying that, man, this is wrong. And he is really upset with them. And then look at these next statements. If you've got a Bible, you need to look at this. You wouldn't believe this is in the Bible if you don't read it. It says, but though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, 
let him be accursed. Man, that's a strong, strong statement. The Amplified says anathema, which is the Greek word for damned, eternal punishment. This is saying that if anybody, even we are an angel, it doesn't matter who they are, even the apostle Paul was saying, if I ever change and preach anything else to you, or if anybody, even an angel, preaches something under, unto you other than the gospel that was delivered unto you, let him be accursed. You know, that is such a strong statement. I'm sure that people were just shocked, like, no way, this can't be what he means. So he says in the next verse, as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have, you have received, let him be accursed. In other words, just in case somebody thought he couldn't have mean what it sounded like. He just says, no, I mean exactly what I said. I'm gonna tell you again, if you're listening to anybody preach something other than this, let him be accursed. Those are strong, strong statements. You know, even many people who've begun to see the grace of God do not see it this strongly. They, they think that, you know, you can compromise. And that, uh, you know, well, we'll just stay in this church and we're gonna love them and we're gonna change all of these kind of things. You know what, I've pastored three little churches. I never had a big church, but I've pastored three little churches and I'm telling you, it takes a miracle from God for the pastor to change the church. <laughs> you as the member of the church are not gonna change that church and actually you're gonna do more damage than good because you're gonna be undercutting the pastor and talking against what he said. It'd be better for them to be in unity with the wrong doctrine than for you to sit there and sow discord among them. That usually goes over about like that. <laughs> there are many of you that, uh, you know, I'm not saying this for selfish purposes. You can give to Pastor Tom, Creflo, anybody here. But I'm saying that there are many of you that go to a church that is dead, dead, dead. You don't support it. You aren't in agreement with it and yet you give your money to it. That's like eating at Wendy's and going across the street and paying McDonald's. <laughs> you aren't fed there, but you're giving your money into it. Did you know when you give money to a ministry, you're encouraging them and saying, man, we are blessed, we're for you, go for it and stuff. You're a part of the problem. You shouldn't be given to that. You shouldn't be in a place that's dead. You need to find a place that can minister to you and draw you up instead of you trying to be the pastor instead of the person that God put there. You need to find a place that's preaching the gospel. Amen. I know some of you don't like that, but I'm not an apostle of men or by men. I'm just telling you, this is what Paul is saying. If anybody's preaching something other than this, let them be accursed. You shouldn't be blessing them. I'm not saying that you hate them. You don't hate unbelievers. You love them and you reach out to them and you don't hate people that are religious and Pharisees and stuff like that. But I'm saying that you, you need to be committed to the gospel as much as Paul is talking about right here. And most people are not. You couldn't find a Christian today. If I, was to, if I wasn't quoting the apostle Paul, if I was saying this on my own, they'd crucify me for me to come out with this. I'm telling you what the Apostle Paul said. The Apostle Paul said you don't compromise with legalism. 
I heard a story about a guy whose little kid wanted to go to his show and he said, what, what's it rated? He says, well, it's an X-rated show, but it's really not bad. There's just one little portion where there's some nudity and a little bit of this, but all of the Christians are going, it's not bad. There's just a little portion, I can handle it. And his dad said, no, you can't go. And he got mad, but his dad, in an effort to make peace, said, you can invite your friends over to our house and you can come over there and we'll watch a movie or do something. So anyway, he invited all of his friends over and when they got there, the dad went and made some brownies. And he brought these brownies to all of these kids. And man, it smelled good. And everybody was going for the brownies. And he said, now before you eat these, let me just tell you, I put a little bit of poop in these brownies. There's not a lot. There's just a little bit. You won't be able to taste it. You can, it won't hurt you. It's just a little bit. His point was made. <laughs> They understood, nobody wants a little bit of that stuff in your brownies, amen. But you know, it seems like, well, we can tolerate a little bit of legalism. I even had an email this afternoon that I was reading and somebody asked me a question and says, isn't legalism and condemnation sometimes good? There's some people that need a little bit of condemnation to get them motivated and going in the right way. Man, the Bible says that the law kills that the law is administration of death and condemnation. In the New Testament, Jesus came to give us life, not death. He didn't come to condemn us. There is no condemnation for them who are in Christ Jesus. You can't mix a little bit of law in with a little bit of grace and somehow or another it balances out. That's a perversion of the gospel. And Paul is saying, if anybody is preaching a perversion of the gospel to you, let him be accursed. Man, these are strong statements. And I tell you, it's, it's not very many people have this type of commitment to the grace of God, but you cannot compromise. Whatever you compromise to obtain or to keep, you're gonna lose. You have to be fanatic, fanatical about it in order for this to work. And he goes on to say in verse, um, in verse 10, for do I now persuade man or God or do I seek to please man? For if I yet please man, I should not be the servant of Christ. In other words, he's saying that, you know, the gospel is offensive. He, he says this over here in the fifth chapter. He says, if I, was preaching, if I was preaching law, he says, then the offense of the cross is ceased. You know what? You won't be persecuted if you preach law. Because basically, even though you have maybe a different set of standards, you say you've got to study your Bible, you've got to pray in tongues an hour a day, you've got to do this and this and this in order for God to love you and be accepted with God. Even though you may be giving Christian standards, it's really no different than the Buddhist, than the Muslim, than the Hindu. It's the same thing that religion all over the world preaches. And you know what? They'll tolerate it because it's basically the same thing. You may have a different set of do's and don'ts, but it's the same principle. But you go to preaching that God loves you in spite of what you do. He loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. You can't make him love you more. You can't make him love you less. God loves you, period. You will be persecuted. You will get people mad at you. You will have people be upset. And this is what Paul is talking about. He says, I'm not the one who's come up with this. It's not me that did this. He says, I'm not doing this to please man. If I pleased man, I would not be a servant of God. 
You have to get to a place to where it's only what God says about you. You know, I was using this example in our Bible college this morning, but a friend of mine was preaching in Russia and he, he's a real extrovert. He just screams and yells and shouts. He's nearly the opposite of me. And he, he was real demonstrative. And anyway, he was up there preaching and he'd go, praise the Lord like that. And his interpreter over here was a real quiet guy and he'd go, Slava Boga. <laughs> and David go, praise the Lord. And this guy would go, Slava Bogo. <laughs> and finally, Dave looked at him and he says, hey, you're interpreting for me. He says, act like me. He says, you aren't interpreting for yourself. You act like me. And as he was explaining this to his interpreter, the Lord spoke to him and he says, that's right with you too. You aren't preaching for yourself. You got to represent me, whether it's popular, whether people like it or not, you are supposed to be interpreting for me. And this is what Paul is saying. I'm not here to please man. This is what God spoke to him. It's what God revealed and he was sharing these truths. And boy, Paul got persecuted for it. You know what? You'll be persecuted if you truly preach the gospel. Again, he says that in the fifth chapter. He says, if I was to preach law, then the offense of the cross is ceased. The thing that's offensive about the gospel is the fact that all of your good works and all of the great things that you do don't make God love you any more than he did already. It doesn't make him love you less when you do something wrong. And the people who are really proud of how good they're living take offense at this and get really mad because you're saying that all of my righteousness doesn't make me any closer to God. That's what I'm saying. It's true. That's the goodness of God. That's the grace of God. And then he says in verse 11, but I certify you brethren that the uh, gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion among many my equals in mine own uh, nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my, of my fathers. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I uh, went into Arabia and returned again into Damascus. The point that he's making is that he didn't learn this. This isn't something that he heard some person say. He's saying, I used to be a person who persecuted Christians. I was against all of this. And for him to change, it wasn't because some person made an impact on him, it was God. He had this supernatural encounter with God in Acts chapter nine where the Lord, there was a bright light and it knocked him to the ground and, he, and, it, and the Lord said, Saul, Saul, it's hard for you to um, kick against the pricks. Why do you persecute me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord revealed himself. He got baptized in the Holy Spirit, healed of his blindness through Ananias. And he had this miraculous encounter with God. And then he's saying that he didn't go up to Jerusalem and learn the doctrine from other people. He went into the deserts of Arabia 
And I believe after he received this baptism of the Holy Spirit and started speaking in tongues, he already knew volumes of the Word. He was a student under Gamaliel, one of the greatest rabbis of the time. And the Jews had to learn, memorize the first five books of the Bible. All Jews memorized it. So he knew those, plus I believe he knew most of the Old Testament law. And what he did when he went into Arabia, he had all of this information and he prayed and spent a lot of time praying in tongues. And God gave him this revelation of the grace of God supernaturally. It came not from his head, it came from his heart. He had a supernatural encounter with God. You know, in a small way, I'm not saying it's the same thing that happened with the Apostle Paul, but this happened with me, that I was raised in a religious system that was real legalistic and stuff, and I knew a lot of stuff. But on March the 23rd, 1968, man, God showed up and just pulled the rug out from under me and showed me that all of my righteousness was like filthy rags and I lost all confidence in my own self and in my own ability. And I expected God to kill me. And instead of killing me, I started experiencing this supernatural love. I was caught up in the presence of God for four and a half months. And I just was overwhelmed with God's love. And it was wonderful, but at the same time, it was really confusing because everything in my life taught me that you had to earn an experience like that. You had to be good enough. And for the first time in my life, I realized that I was worth nothing and that all of my righteousness was like filthy rags. And the first time in my life that I quit putting my faith in myself is when I experienced this and I couldn't understand it. And it came by revelation. And it took me years and years and years to start studying the scripture and understanding what happened. But I mean, it was a revelation from God. Nobody taught me this stuff. It just came as a revelation from God. And I know that the apostle Paul, this is what he's saying. He didn't go and learn this from somebody. This was a revelation directly from God and his purpose in saying this is to defend what he was teaching, that this wasn't man's doctrine. It's not something that he just made up on his own. This came as a direct revelation from God. And the apostle Paul wrote half of the New Testament. Our faith is founded on this revelation that God gave him. And when he shared it with other people, even with Peter, Peter didn't respond to it very well. Peter acknowledged that it was true, but he certainly didn't embrace it and he didn't promote the Apostle Paul. Matter of fact, we're going to read right here in just a few verses that the Apostle Paul had to openly rebuke Peter. You know, Peter walked with Jesus. He was one of the inner circle, one of the main three people that were disciples to Jesus. And yet Peter's revelation did not equal that of the Apostle Paul. You know, again, I was talking to uh, Pastor Tom Anderson down here, Living Word, right? Over in Mesa. And they've known me for a long, long time and they've been preaching the gospel. And I don't know, he was saying thousands, tens of thousands of people in his church and he's been doing good things. But this summer, they just got a revelation of grace like they hadn't had it in the past. I don't know if it's new or if it was just deeper. I'm not trying to put words in his mouth, but I'm saying... I told Tom when he was telling me, I said, Tom, you have to get it by revelation. Nobody can teach you grace. It has to be God that reveals it to you. I can take the word of God on the subject of healing 
And a person who says, no, God doesn't heal today, I can argue them into seeing that God heals today. Now, they may not still like it and they may not embrace it and they may not go on with it, but I can argue you into it. I can show you from the Word and I can convince you of it. I can take a person that doesn't believe that prosperity is for us. And you know, they call it the prosperity gospel and uh, uh, I don't know, name it, claim it, blab it, grab it prosperity preachers and they label all of these things. And I can take somebody who's against all of that and I can take the word of God and I can argue you to a place where I convince you whether you like it or not and whether you embrace it or not is a different thing. But I can convince you from the word of God and show you what I'm talking about. But I can't argue a person into grace. It has to come by revelation. I can show you scriptures and if God doesn't give you a revelation of it, you can look at those very scriptures and miss the whole thing and not even understand what I'm talking about. It has to come by revelation and this is what the Apostle Paul is saying is that God gave him a supernatural revelation of this. And that's the point that he's trying to get across. And so I think it's in verse, um, where did I quit? In verse 17, verse 18, it says, Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. 15 days is not enough to get your whole life turned around with somebody correcting your theology. So I, again, he's mentioning that he had some contact with Peter three years later, but 15 days wasn't enough for him to get this full revelation. He's not crediting Peter with this revelation. There's nothing wrong with receiving things from people. But again, it has to be God's revelation. It has to be God that speaks it to you. Jamie will tell you that sometimes I'll hear people say something and I'll hear it and then I'll go meditate on it. And then a month later or two months later, I'm up telling people God said this to me. And Jamie will say, you heard so-and-so say <laughs> But I don't take it that way. I, I may hear something, but then I'll meditate on it until God speaks it to me and it's God told me. Amen. And so anyway, he went up and he saw Peter and abode with him for 15 days, but other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. Uh, now, now the things which I write unto you before God, I lie not. In other words, he's saying, I'm telling you the truth. I didn't get this from people. Afterwards, I came into the regions of uh, Syria and Cilicia and was unknown by face unto the church. Let's see, where am I? Unknown by face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but they had heard only that he which persecuted us in time past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed and they glorified God in me. And so he's saying that out of these, all of these years, he only had 15 days worth of contact with Peter and he met James, the Lord's brother. And then in chapter two, verse one, he says, then 14 years after. Now this is after Barnabas had already come and gotten him and they had gone on their first missionary tour for about two years and so he had been in ministry for a period of time. And he's talking about that 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took with me uh, and took Titus with me also. And, and you can read about this in the 15th chapter of the book of Acts. And the background of this is that Paul was preaching and seeing all of these Gentiles born again. And he didn't have them become Jews. 
You know, I'm going to say something right here that I'm sure will not bless some of you, and I'm not mean with this. I'm not trying to offend you. I'm just telling you this is exactly the truth. Paul, when he led people to the Lord, did not have them keep wearing the little thing on the back of their head and wear a prayer shawl and wear all of this stuff and go through the rituals and keep the feast. And yet there's portions of the body of Christ today that are pushing all of this stuff and telling you that if you will do these things, it makes you closer to God. That's not true. Now, if you want to do all that stuff to somehow or another sneak in the back door and witness to the Jews, well, then that's one thing. And if you're going to do it so that they maybe can identify with you and see you as less threatening... I still don't agree with that because the Apostle Paul didn't take that approach. Man, he just came out straight with the gospel and countered all of this religious uh, legalism and stuff like that. But if that's your motivation, that's one thing. But most of the people today who are Messianic Jews and are promoting this are putting people back into legalism and having them go back and think that they have to do all of these things to be closer to God. And it's wrong. I'm not against anybody. I'm not saying that to hurt anybody. I'm just telling you that this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. He had to go up to Jerusalem because people from Jerusalem had gone out to all of the places where he had been ministering and they started telling the people, oh yes, Jesus was the Messiah. Oh yes, Jesus died for your sins and you have to put faith in Jesus, but you also have to be circumcised. You also have to observe the feast. You also have to be Jewish. You have to be converted and become a Jew. And Paul wasn't preaching that and it caused an uproar in the church. And so in the 15th chapter of the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas and Titus went up to Jerusalem to defend themselves and what they had been preaching and let the apostles that were in Jerusalem rule on this and establish what is the proper thing. What does it take? Is it Jesus plus your observance of all of these rituals or is it just faith in Jesus only? That was the question. And again, you could turn over to the 15th chapter of the book of Acts and get a lot more information on this, but the apostle Paul declared all of these things and showed the evidence and the miracles that were taking place, the lives that were changed, and the apostles saw the fruit of the gospel in the lives of these people and they decided that they, you did not have to convert and become a Jew, that you could be born again as a Gentile without keeping all of the Jewish rituals and still have relationship with God. And that's what Paul is referring to right here. And so he says in verse two, and I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that uh, gospel which I preach among the Gentiles but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. In other words, when he went to the church at Jerusalem, rather than going into the church and proclaiming these things in front of the whole group of people and embarrassing the leadership and stuff like that, he meant with the leadership privately, the apostles, and communicated to them privately. Boy, there's some great wisdom right here. I could t I've taught on this before about how to get along with people and how to do things, but you know what? I wouldn't go into Creflo's church and try and correct him. If I had a word of correction, first of all, I'm not his authority, so I wouldn't probably give it. But if, I, you know, if we had a relationship, I'd go to him privately. I'd honor him. I wouldn't go into his church and start blasting him and trying to counter him. 
That's wrong. You don't do stuff like that. This is all Paul is saying. He didn't go directly to the church. He went to them privately and communicated these things and they humbled themselves and they received these truths. And he goes on to say in verse three, but neither Titus who was with me being a Greek or a non-Gentile was compelled to be circumcised and that because of false brethren unawares brought in who came in privately to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus that they might bring us into bondage. He didn't circumcise Titus and make him a Jew. And he says, it's because of false brethren who came in secretly to spy out our liberty. You know, if you continue to read this in the, in the third chapter, fourth and fifth chapter, he's gonna make a big deal out of circumcision. Circumcision was a part of the covenant that was given to Abraham. And it says any person, any male who is not circumcised had to be put to death. It was non-negotiable. And because of that, the Jews just, this was a big deal. You could not be born again. You could not have a relationship with God if you weren't circumcised. And so he says the reason he didn't circumcise Titus was because of false brethren who came in to spy out their liberty. This is old English, but in plain English, it's just saying they came in and were checking to see if these guys were circumcised or not. How do you do that? Most people don't think about stuff like this when you read the Bible, but you know what he was saying? These Jews, they had false brethren come in and they were sneaking into the latrines. They were watching these guys go to the bathroom to see if they were circumcised or not. This is how bad legalism is. Legalism will criticize you because you put on a ring or jewelry or you're wearing makeup and they will be as mean as a snake and they'll do 10 times as many bad things to you while they're looking to see if your hair's in a bun or if your dress is a certain length or something like that. I tell you, some of the worst things that have ever been done in history have been done by legalistic Christians who had these standards that were just out to destroy people's lives and didn't take things into account. And this is what the apostle Paul is talking about. The reason he wouldn't circumcise Titus is because people had made an issue out of it and he caught them sneaking around looking. And so because of that, he, he told Titus, you know, to stay the way he was because you do not have to be circumcised to have a relationship with God. You know, today this isn't a big issue. You know why? Because Paul dealt with it and ended this criticism over circumcision. But did you know the same principle exists today? It's in people who say, you've got to be baptized in water before you can be saved. And not only do you have to be baptized in water, you've got to be baptized in water in the name of Jesus only. That's the same principle. It's just a different standard, but it's the same principle. And there's people that say, oh no, you've got to be holy. And there's, all, you know, there's just all kinds of religious rules and regulations that people have imposed, but it's the exact same principle that he's talking about right here. Did you know the apostle Paul, he, would, he told people, you know, to uh, become all things to all men and he humbled himself and he, he did a lot of things to reach people. But when it came to the gospel, there was no compromise. He would not compromise on this issue. And the moment that somebody started trying to pressure them to conform to all of the Jewish standards and uh, 
rights that were commanded in the Old Testament. You can read about that. I think it's Genesis chapter 17. And if you aren't circumcised, you've got to be killed. You can read that. That's in Scripture. But it's changed in the New Testament. We have now had this fulfilled in Christ and you are no longer bound to these Old Testament laws. And Paul would not compromise on this issue. I tell you, the church has compromised on this. If I had the opportunity to sit down and talk to every one of you, I bet you most of you in here at some time or another have felt the displeasure, the rejection, felt like, God, how could you love me? How could you use me? Because you've been exposed to the law. The law wasn't even given to the Gentile church, and yet the Gentile church has proclaimed it, and most of us live under this sense of condemnation and feeling of unworthiness. How could God ever use me? I'm telling you, this is not the way that God wants us to live. There needs to be a gospel revolution in the body of Christ. And praise God, it's happening. It is happening. Hallelujah. And in verse five, he says, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. You know, Paul would let people persecute him, put him in prison. He'd just praise God and go on and keep preaching. But boy, when it came to somebody attacking the gospel, he would not submit to this. He would not yield to those people. Paul would say, if you aren't preaching this, let you be accursed. This is unpopular today. We're so touchy-feely and we don't get mad at anybody. I was preaching in a church one time and I was railing on the devil and saying how that he's the source of all of our problems and you need to get angry. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent must take it by force. And I was just railing on the devil and afterwards the pastor came up and he says, we don't get mad at anybody around here, not even the devil. <laughs> and I said, that's the problem right there. You have to resist the devil. The Bible says, hate that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. You know what, you take persecution, but man, you do not take compromise and you do not pervert the gospel. He says, we did not give place to this by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. If we are, the gospel is the power of God. Romans chapter one, verse 16. And the word gospel here doesn't mean what most people call. It's talking about the good news, the grace of God. Just as in the first chapter, he used the words grace and gospel interchangeably. Same thing's done in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. If you aren't truly preaching the grace of God, it's not the gospel. To stand up and tell people, you're going to hell, repent or else, turn or burn. That's not good news. That's not the gospel. It's true, but it's not the gospel. It's the gospel talking about the goodness of God, the love of God that leads man to repentance. And this is what releases power. Again, Tom Anderson was just sharing with me about tumors being dissolved and miracles happening. In Acts chapter four, verse 33, it says that they, the apostles great gave witness of the power of God with these supernatural manifestations. And the next phrase says, and great grace was upon them. Grace causes the supernatural power of God to operate. People don't doubt that God has power. They just doubt that he's willing to use that power because they know they aren't worthy. That's where the problem lies. 
And when people quit, realize, quit thinking that God is going to move in their life because they deserve it and they understand that it's because God is love and because He loves you and He just wants to bless you, well, miracles will start happening. People will start receiving miracles. I believe that during this week, again, I don't know what Creflo is going to teach on, but I know it'll be the gospel. And as I teach on these things in the book of Galatians, and as you come to get a greater understanding of the love of God and quit tying it to your performance, I'm expecting to see awesome miracles. And it's not because we're doing a good job preaching and so God is blessing us. No, it's because you go to receiving and you remove these barriers of thinking that you've got to earn the goodness of God and then the goodness that God has for you all along and has been trying to pour out upon you will manifest. It's not God responding to us. It's us getting free from these things that pervert the gospel and allow us to respond to Him. You'll always see miracles happen when you preach the true gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. If the power of God is not being manifest in your life, it's because you are not preaching the true gospel. Amen. I'm preaching better than you're listening. Praise God. And so where were we in verse, um, verse five, I guess we ended. Verse six, but of those who seemed to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it mattereth not to me. God accepted no man's person. You know who he's talking about? Peter, James, and John, Nathaniel, Matthew, all of the apostles these people that were in the Lord before him, the people who were considered to be the leaders of the church, he says, I don't care who they were. Doesn't matter to me. God doesn't accept any man's person. Do you know what? That's not the way that we do things today. We really honor people many times and exalt them far above where they're supposed to be. I'm not saying that you dishonor people and don't treat people with respect, but man, we ought to get to where, you know, if God says something to you, who cares what anybody else says? I was talking to somebody tonight who God told them to come to Bible school and yet they're trying to think, how do I do this without offending everybody? And you know what? You shouldn't even have this problem. If God speaks to you, just do it. If it hairlips the devil, if it causes all kinds of problems, just do it. Man, if God Almighty, who's got a universe to run, he's got lots of things to be doing and yet he talks to you and tells you to do something and then you're gonna sit here and debate about whether or not you do it. I just don't relate to that. If God told me to do it, I may spend some time saying, God, how do I do it? Give me wisdom and stuff, but it's not a question of am I gonna do it? If the Lord tells me to do something to the best of my ability, I will do it. I just don't understand people, but see, this is what he's saying. He, he didn't honor these people. He honored them in the sense that he honors everybody and he respected the call that God had on their life, but he says, man, they were nothing to me. God doesn't accept uh, any man's person, for they who seem to be somewhat in, in conference adding nothing unto me. In other words, the revelation that God gave him of the gospel when he exposed it to these leaders of the church, they didn't contradict it. They actually saw the wisdom of it. They didn't teach him one thing. They didn't add anything to it. He's again trying to verify that he is getting this revelation directly from God. He didn't have people teach it to him or add to it. In verse seven, but contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me as the gospel of the circumcision, 
was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectively in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me towards the Gentiles. You know, here's a little aside on this, but this always amazed me that Paul would have, in our estimation, would have been the perfect people to go to the Jews. He was a Jew of the Jews. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He knew their lingo. Nobody could best him. He had lived holier than anybody. And yet God chose to send probably one of the most reprobate of all of the 12 disciples. I mean, you know, Peter, this guy was always doing something wrong. He was always sticking his foot in his mouth. He was not a Pharisee by any stretch of the imagination. He sent somebody to the Pharisees who they would not relate to, who they would not honor, who they would not esteem based on his credential. And they took the person who had all of the credentials and all of this experience with the Jewish religion and he sent them to the non-Jews, to the Gentiles who didn't care anything about all the Jewish traditions and all of that stuff that he had gained, he, it just became nothing to him. He says it was like dung unto him. That's amazing. You know, God will usually call you to do the very thing that you aren't qualified to do. And yet most of us look around and we see somebody who's a singer and think, oh, surely God's gonna use you. Not necessarily. God's gonna use you and anoint you to do the very thing that you feel inadequate to do. That's amazing. And then he said in verse nine, and when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, in other words, leaders among all of these people, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and uh, Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision, only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which was also forward to do. In other words, Paul had already embraced that and decided to do that. But look at this in verse 11. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, uh, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And other Jews dissembled with him likewise, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. If you read about this in Acts chapter 10 is where Paul went and spoke to Cornelius, the uh, Roman centurion, and he had seen in a vision, an angel came and appeared unto him and said, send men to Joppa and find Simon Peter, who's lives, who is in the house of uh, Simon the Tanner and have him come and he'll tell you words whereby you might be saved. And these men were sent from Cornelius to find Peter and he was getting ready to eat. He was hungry and he fell into a trance and he saw this sheet descending from heaven uh, held by the four corners and in this sheet was all of the animals that the Bible said you couldn't eat. Pigs and shrimp and lobster and all of the stuff that the Bible forbids you to eat. And he heard a voice saying, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything common or unclean in my whole life. And God says, what I've cleansed, don't you call common or unclean. And this was repeated three different times. And then the sheet was caught up into heaven. And he was sitting here thinking about this, saying, God, what is all of this about? And the Lord spoke to him. He says, there's three men that are at the door. They're looking for you. Go with them and don't doubt anything. 
And so they came and got him. He went to Cornelius, a centurion of the Romans, which it was against the law, not really the Old Testament law, but the Jewish tradition for a Jew. He couldn't even eat with a non-Jew. They were defiled. They were unclean people. You weren't supposed to go into their home. You couldn't eat with them. But because of this vision, Peter knew God had sent him. And when he got there, he said in Acts chapter 10, he says, I perceive of a truth that God is not a respecter of persons and whoever it is that calls on the Lord, regardless of what nation you're in, you will be accepted with God. And so he ministered to Cornelius. They received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. And in the 11th chapter of Acts, the, the church at Jerusalem heard about these Gentiles getting saved. Boy, they sent people up there to check this out because this was wrong. You couldn't have a relationship with God outside of being a Jew. And Peter knew that that was untrue. He had had this supernatural encounter. God confirmed it. The people received salvation and spoke in tongues, which you can't do until you get born again. And so it was a proof that they had received. And Peter knew it, and it says right here that he had eaten with them before the Jews from Jerusalem came. But when the Jewish people came, Peter uh, separated himself from Cornelius and started eating separate and doing things again according to Jewish tradition rather than based on the revelation. And Paul, he didn't say anything was he, when he was in Peter's place, but when Peter came to his place in Antioch, it says he rebuked him before them all. And he says, you're to blame. You knew better. You were the very first one that God revealed this to about the Gentiles becoming Christians and you caved in because of the pressure. Did you know there's a lot of people today that know more about the grace of God than what they will walk in because it's going to cost you something. You're going to be criticized. You know God's not as mean and nasty as he's being represented. And yet you won't stand up and say anything. The apostle Peter was like that. And it says that even Barnabas was carried away with his dissimulation. The word dissimulation means hypocrisy. Barnabas also did the same thing. And the apostle Paul stood up and rebuked all of them right in front of the entire church. You know, most people would not fight over the gospel today. But I tell you what, there's some things that are worth fighting over. There's some things that are worth standing up for and we need to start standing for the truth. Before I leave this, I'm gonna get on to some other scriptures, but let me just mention this, that as I was talking about these unclean animals, there are still people in the body of Christ today saying that you have to observe all of the Old Testament laws and regulations concerning animals and certain things that you eat. That is not true. And I know that there's some people right now just thinking, wow, I can't believe you said that. Keep your finger here. Look over in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and let me just read some scripture. I'm going to tell you what Paul said about this. Most people don't let the Bible get in the way of what they believe, but I'm going to tell you what the Bible says anyway. <laughs> In verse one, now the spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. We're in the last times. And this is talking about what's happening today. And here's some of these doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry 
and commanding to abstain from meats. You know what forbidding to marry is talking about? Religious people that have to be priests and take an oath of celibacy, it's a doctrine of the devil. Was that too subtle? Anybody miss that one? <laughs> I'm not mad at anybody. I'm just telling you the truth. It is a doctrine of the devil to be celibate. And that's the reason that we have so many priests today that are homosexuals and having this is because it, you are suppressing a godly drive that God placed on the inside of you and putting people in abnormal circumstances and it's causing problems. There's some people who are called by God to be celibate, but that is not every single person. It's the exception rather than the rule. And it's a doctrine of devils to tell people that if you're a minister, you can't marry. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Amen. And so here's one of the doctrines of the devil. They forbid people to marry and command to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. You can eat pork. Thank you, Jesus. And I know some people think, no, you can't do that. Because again, there's Old Testament laws that if you do this, you get put to death. And people will flip over to those Old Testament scriptures. I'm going to explain this more as we go through the book of Galatians. But that was a type and a shadow of a New Testament reality that we now have. And it is a doctrine of the devil to enforce the Old Testament dietary laws. They were not given so that you, you know, some people will say, well, God gave these because he knows that in pork, if you don't cook it properly, you get trichinosis. There's a disease. They didn't have the methods that we have today. And so he gave this for a dietary law. The only time that all of these dietary laws are explained is in Colossians chapter two, verses 16 and 17. And there it says that they were types and shadows of Christ. Every one of the dietary laws has been fulfilled in Christ. It wasn't given for health reasons. It was given to picture something about our relationship with God. Somebody said, well, I guess you can eat pork, but you'll die quicker. That's a doctrine of the devil. I just read about a woman on the internet who's 103 years old and her secret to health is she has three slices of bacon every day. And I said, thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now there's wisdom to use in the way you eat. I'm not saying that you just abuse your body, but I'm saying that the way that it's preached where people say you've got to follow these things and God gave all of this and you're sinning against God and God's not gonna bless you with health if you eat certain ways and stuff. That's a doctrine of the devil. Amen, anybody missed that? So anyway, back to the book of Galatians. It says in verse 14, but when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, if thou being a Jew livest as after the manner of the Gentiles and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? You know, you could interpret this and apply it today by saying, if you don't live holy, if you mess up, which all of us do, all sin and come short of the glory of God, if you aren't perfect, 
Well, then why are you teaching other people that they have to be perfect? You fail and yet you run to God and say, oh God, have mercy on me. And God grants your petition anyway and loves you, not because you deserve it, but because of his grace. And if you're living by grace, well then why are you preaching law to other people? That's a really good question. Most of us feel that that's what we've got to do, but that's what he was saying to Peter. In verse um, 15, we who are of the Jew, who, who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. You know, I hadn't got time to teach on this, but I just encourage you to look this up on your own. It says twice in this verse that we are justified by the faith of Christ, not by faith in Christ. And it mentions one time putting faith in Christ. I'm not saying that we don't put our faith in Jesus and what he's done, but it is not our faith in Jesus that justifies us. It's the faith of Jesus that justifies us. And he goes on to say in verse 20, let me just skip down there to verse 20. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Not by faith in the Son of God, but by the faith of the Son of God. You know, the very first teaching that I ever made back in 1976, I think it was, and put out on a reel-to-reel tape was called The Faith of God. When you got born again, you don't have just a human faith in God. God gave you His faith. It took God's faith for you to receive His salvation. You had to believe for things that you can't see. You have a supernatural faith given to you. It's not your faith in God, it's God's faith in you. And Paul said, the faith that I now live by, I'm living by the faith of the Son of God. If you have that nearly inspired version, it says faith in the Son of God, but it really is saying it's the faith of the Son of God. Romans chapter 12, verse three says, every man has been dealt the measure of faith. Not a measure of faith, but the measure. There's only one measure. Every person in here in your born again spirit, you have the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. You do not have an inferior faith. You have the faith of Christ. It's in your spirit. You've already got it. The problem is it's got to go through your brain. And unless you know these truths, you won't be set free. You got to know these truths in order to be set free. But you already have the faith of Christ. And it's talking here about that you are justified by the faith of Christ. Jesus died for us. He did all of the believing and he received this. And when we put our faith in him, then he gives us his faith and you are literally justified by his faith. Not just your faith, but his faith that was given unto you. And so that's what Paul was talking about. There's a lot in those verses that I didn't bring out. And look at verse uh, 21. He says, I do not frustrate the grace of God for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. That is one strong statement. The word frustrate means that you aren't able to accomplish some desired goal or plan. It also means to nullify. 
Did you know that you just totally nullify what Christ has done for you if you are of the mindset that you have to do something to be worthy to obtain it? It nullifies Christ. It makes Christ dead in vain. And in the fifth chapter, as we continue to go through this book, he's going to make some awesome points that if you are trusting in your own goodness, then Christ will profit you nothing. And brothers and sisters, there's a lot of people in the body of Christ who are born again and on their way to heaven. That's not an issue, but you aren't healed because Christ is profiting you nothing in that area because you feel like you've got to be worthy, like you've got to do something to clean up your act. You feel like, well, I deserve this because I haven't been seeking God the way I should and so this is God's punishment upon me and that's the reason it's not working. And this is nullifying the effect of Christ in your life. Jesus has already done everything for us. And when you got born again in your spirit, you've got everything that Jesus is and has and can do. It's all here. But it is our unworthiness which is reinforced by the law that is making us think that God won't use His power on our behalf because we don't measure up and we aren't worthy. And I'm telling you, that is not true. That is not the true gospel. The true gospel is that God loves you while you were yet a sinner. He died for you. And now that you are born again, He loves you infinitely more than He did before you were lost. If He loved you enough to die for you while you were a sinner, much more does He want to prosper you now. If you're living in sin, I'm not saying that sin doesn't affect you. We'll deal with that again later in the book of Galatians. There are still consequences to sin. It gives Satan an inroad into your life, but it doesn't change God's attitude towards you. God doesn't love you more if you live holy and He doesn't love you less if you don't live holy. If you, just, if you aren't living holy, you're just stupid. But I'm saying God loves you, stupid. It doesn't change God's attitude towards you, but it gives Satan a free shot at you and you don't want to do that. So as much as you can, live holy and quit giving Satan access into your life. But God loves you. And if you could ever understand that God loves you completely separate from what you deserve, I tell you what, everything that God has would come flooding into your life. It's what releases the power of gospel is when you understand God's unconditional love, that it's not tied to anything that you do, any worth or value on your part. God loves you because He is love, not because you are lovely. Man, that's awesome. And Paul said this in Romans chapter 3, where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. It, once you understand the grace of God, it'll take, it'll take all of your boasting and your self-promotion your self away because you'll recognize that, man, the only good thing in my life is because of Jesus and because of what He did. I don't deserve it. It'll cause you to walk in humility. It'll break that rod of pride in you. Only by pride comes contention, Proverbs 3.10. It would stop anger in you if you understood grace. And on and on it goes. I tell you, this is just, it's the gospel. It's the power of God. And I'm telling you that tonight, Jesus has already died for us. He's forgiven us. He's made all of these things available. And the only thing he requires of you 
is to humble yourself and receive it by faith. Put your faith in Jesus and not in you and what you've done. Man, that's good news. And if you can do that, I can guarantee you, you are going to experience a freedom you've never had before. So I believe that, praise God, we're going to get a deeper revelation of God's grace and love for us than we've ever had. And I, again, say that this may rub some of your religious traditions the wrong way. I probably have stepped on a number of toes tonight, but God can heal your toes. <laughs> and I just encourage you to keep listening and let the Word of God set you free. This will change your life. You know, there may be people here tonight that you've been believing that there's a God and you may even go to church and you may be a very moral person, but if your faith is in what you are doing and if you have this concept that my good outweighs my bad and I believe that when I stand before God, God is going to accept me because I'm more good than I am bad. That is not how it works. The Bible says if you keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, you become guilty of all. If you have ever sinned in your life, you do not deserve salvation. The wages of sin is death. And the scripture says all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So there's nobody in here that deserves anything from God. If you've had this mindset that somehow or another God is going to see you and accept you because of what you've done, you have to question whether you truly have faith in Jesus as your Savior or whether you are just a religious person. You have to humble yourself and make Jesus your Lord. You have to put faith in Him. If you've never done that tonight, you need to do that. And it would be a shame to hear this message and then someday stand before God and not understand what we were talking about. Because I'm telling you, I've shared... I've begun to share the gospel with you tonight and you should understand that it is based on what Jesus did and the only thing you've got to do is either humble yourself and believe and receive or if you continue to put your faith in your own self, you'll doubt and do without. Amen? So you need to receive salvation. If you've never made Jesus your Lord, tonight would be a great night to be born again and receive this salvation and put your faith in a Savior instead of yourself. We hope your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. It's the faithful support of people like you who make this ministry possible. We invite you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Andrew Womack Ministries. We maintain a website at awmi.net. Our helpline number is 719-635-1111 or you can write us at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you'll reach out by faith and receive everything that's yours through God's grace.